busted my home button. That's no good. No, no, no. I busted my entire screen. Oh. Not the home button. Uh And then when I went to get it fixed, Mm -hmm. my phone was bent. And so the, the actual like screen is bent. So the screen now is fixed and not shattered and it works, but the home button doesn't. And I think mm-hmm. it's because the glass is actually bent at a weird angle. Uh, so it doesn't actually touch the sensors for that, whatever Yeah, something does. like that. Are you one to shatter a lot of devices? I, uh, fortunately, no. At least, you know, I'm going to knock on this desk here. <laughs> it's not um, wood. Don't do oh, that. Oh, no. <laughs> well, great. Um, I No, I've had the same phone for years and the same mm. uh, free, which was night through work, OtterBox that's like, Ugly. Otterbox. Yeah, it's real ugly. It's just gray, and yeah. but it gets the job done. I do drop it. Does it fit in your pocket? It does, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I want to get right into this. I'm excited that Let's you're here. Me too. And Well, not that just that you're here, because folks, we have someone very special in the studio who's who hopefully has been in your ear before. I hope so. And uh, the reason I say it's exciting that she's here today is because she's usually here for our, another podcast that Rock Rising produces called... Should we keep this? And today, I'll tell you this much, we're definitely keeping our guest for the next hour, hour and a half. Thanks. After that, who knows if Oh, I'll you be are not welcome. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> Until uh, Wednesday? I don't know yeah, when you come over. Right. Well, we're actually, yeah, we're skipping yeah. this week because I because we're not keeping me, but it's all good. Oh, really? Yeah, no, not because of that, but, oh. but yeah. Anyways. Well, anyways, listen to the show are. and then you'll have the context you need for that little That's right. we're not gonna bit that we did. Explain. So... Yeah. Today we have probably one of the best voices in um, <laughs> radio in the podcasting industry. Uh, even if you haven't heard it yet, this you you will, and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, bump your ear pods up and jam them a little closer into your ears towards your eardrum because this is going to be a cozy episode. We have Gina, formerly known as Stevenson, but now <laughs> I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. She said I could take a guess, but I don't want to. Oh, no, it is just, I'm still Gina Stevenson. Because you are? I am, yeah, yeah. I got married recently, and but I kept my name, yeah. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. was like, I, I kind of think true. that Julie could, could have kept her name because mm-hmm. yeah. it's so cool. It is cool. But now, but now she has like two names, sort of. True. So that's cool. I don't. Mm. When yeah, when my husband and I were getting married, we were talking about maybe coming up with a new name that we would both change to or something. Oh yeah. Um, or would you ever combine them? We tried. His last name is Rawl, R O L. So you know, not a lot of letters or syllables. Stephen Rawl. Stephen Rawl. Rawlvinson. <laughs> they all kind of sucked. <laughs> so we just left it the way it was. So okay, I I want to start with a question of the day for you, okay. but it's going to be two parts. Okay. Inspired by what we were talking about before we pressed record. Mm. And I was kind of thinking about this question for you um, earlier, which is weird. So it kind of, uh, our conversation earlier affirmed that I should ask you this. So think back as a kid to all of those games that you played, Mm -hmm. like Candylands, Monopoly, Don't Wake Daddy, whatever it was, Shoots and Ladders. And I... I want to know which one is your rose and which one is your thorn, like secretly the one that, you know, you wouldn't keep. So this is kind of like, what are you, what childhood game are you getting rid of? But I also want a positive spin on it. So you can also tell us what your favorite one was. I love that. 
Oh, fun. Okay. Um, so the one that pops into my head immediately that we used to play a lot, um, this was like slightly older, not, yeah, well, anyways, it's still a kid, but um, the game Sorry. Do you remember that one? I do. Did you ever, yeah. I do. Where you, yeah. With the weird, like, yeah, pieces. There's, so. they're, right, they're kind of like cone shape. I don't know. They're, yeah, these weird little, like, Hershey Kiss looking pieces, yeah. Yeah. and you were had to like bump you could bump people out of their spots or you could choose to like not do that and I feel like there was I always enjoyed the the like chance to maybe throw someone under a bus when you were like oh I'm your friend but then you're like sorry (laughs) you know and you like knock them over (laughs) Um, but then also like forming alliances and then like messing the alliance like I don't know that's my memory of the game I don't actually know if that's how you actually play it but I remember the delight of getting to like bump somebody back to start and saying, sorry, but you're not sorry, (laughs) (laughs) which is maybe not a great lesson to take from that game. That game did kind of teach you to like say sorry in a non-meaning it way because you're not actually sorry when you bump them back. Yeah. Or what if you are and but you just still also want to win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Sorry. I want to win. I'm know. still your friend. Exactly. You know? But or or like I'm willing to be friends. But mm-hmm. after I bump you, it's like a, it's the balls it's in your, your choice. Court. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to win. <laughs> I'm going to win. Yeah. I have always been very competitive. So I feel like that's also part of why that game sticks in my head. Mm. Um, I feel like it'd be fun to play now. I feel like it's one of those games that would still be enjoyable because there is some strategy yeah. to it. Unlike a lot of the other kids games, which so speaking of that, the other question yeah. I don't understand. Shoots and Ladders is the, sorry if anyone loves it, I think it is the dumbest game. Sorry, but I agree. It is so stupid. It's like, dumb. It's so dumb. There's no, I mean, you're a kid, but still, like, there's no, like, strategy to it. Um, and no. it's not like Candyland, at least, where you're going around and, like, the, there's interesting visuals, you know, or you can yeah. imagine the yes, world that yes, you're moving through. Yes, yes, It's just this, like, crazy thing where you're, like, sliding down a, a, a shoot climbing up a ladder and it's just like dumb well the funnest part of the game is like the is a position you don't want to find yourself in which is sliding down something yeah yeah, yeah climbing yeah. up a ladder is boring it's so boring right and when you see your friend land on it you're like it's not because you're good right you just happen to land on it yeah that's true yeah. it's so funny because in real life going down the slide is the most fun especially imagining like a really long slide that's really enjoyable but in the game it's a bad thing, which is a strange. That is strange. Hmm. Well, you work. You work. Well, maybe that's the lesson in it: mm-hmm. is that it's not like it doesn't matter if you're climbing or if you're sliding, because like one kind of leads to the next. Yeah. Especially in life, like if we're thinking of slides being like a thrill or a ride, mm-hmm. that comes after that enjoyment comes after all the work that you put into it. Mm. And there's also a slight moment like after you've put all the work in where you can kind of sit on top of the mountaintop or mm. on top of the slide and look at the whole playground and you're like, whoa, this is where I came from and this is where I'm going. It's exciting and I may start in a lower quote unquote position than I am now, but that only can lead to other slides. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm reading into a very uh, stupid game. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to read into it because it's so stupid. Because it it's so stupid. Know, it doesn't give you anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. So, I love it. Thanks. I mean, it seemed right. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. The reason I asked it is because 
Um, I just had a conversation about a game that I did play growing up and then in retrospect realized it was probably one of the creepier, more terrifying games. Oh, no. Don't Wake Daddy. Uh, I don't remember that game. Okay, so you're basically like navigating a very simple map which is like your your house and you're you're trying to get to the fridge and get a snack or something watch tv or something and and not wake your dad Hmm. which is like instilling a fear of the dad and then like he had an angry face if you ever woke him up Hmm. and the mother and the children are like cowering away from like don't don't wake dad right right it's like well what is there to fear if you accidentally wake your father who you're sharing a house with yeah yeah that's so true shouldn't you be if you're gonna wake any person you should feel comfortable waking your parents right but instead it's like he's gonna be mad at you yeah Yeah. and i also i also said something as a kid to my mother that like kind of slipped it was a subconscious thing where you say it as a kid and you don't mean anything by it but i said something that was very hurtful Mm. so i think i also tie it into that game so it's like weird how these games, you know, that are supposed to be fun can also hold a weird, serious weight. Yeah. Like shoots and ladders of like, wait, slides are supposed to be fun. Right. What's right. going on here? <laughs> and why is this game so stupid? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right. Yeah. Should we keep it? Probably not. No, I don't think we can. Neither think of we those. Shoot your ladders or don't make daddy. No, no. That, that Don't make daddy especially sounds pretty, like it's really kind of cementing some negative things that we, yeah. we don't need those. No. Yeah. And um, Candyland, I'll keep. Yeah. Oper- that you, when you're talking about Don't, Don't Make Daddy, that made me think of Operation. Operation. Which is also, I have vivid memories of like this, just the fear, like the image of that person's body and the random shit that was inside the body. And like that was really scary because there was just like random stuff in his body and you're trying right. to like pull it out. And that was creepy. It was creepy. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was like a little too soon. Yeah. Where you're like, is he ready for this game? <laughs> nope. Yeah. Because it's like, even when you mess up, right. like, it's that's another level of scary because it buzzes right, you. Right, right, right. Like, that's true. It's too much. Yeah. It's my childhood lot. was pretty much traumatic. So yeah. let's bond over that for the right. next hour. Um, yeah. So you said something about being competitive mm. as a kid um, in playing board games, but yeah. obviously that, that sense, that competition or competitive attitude comes from somewhere else or maybe it's more intentionally focused in other places so where was that growing up that's a great question I think um I well I only I have always been competitive with games but I think only as in the last few years like coming into myself as an adult and like you know I'm about to turn 30 and I feel like I only actually started figuring out who I am as an adult maybe like four years ago. Hmm. Um, Like only in these last like four years, I'd say, have I sort of like taken the competitiveness and channeled it to a lot of my life as far as like creating art and just sort of like not in a a desire to sort of knock someone down like in the game, sorry, but in a sort of like I have to continually advocate for myself I guess and like try to it's boosting yourself up yeah as opposed to knocking other people down right yeah but I think as far as where maybe it came from so my dad is a my both of my parents were um or are mostly still are they're kind of starting to retire um my dad's a photographer who had his own business and my mom is a visual artist um and so I think my dad like having his own photography business and seeing sort of his, the way, just I like could feel it in his presence, this kind of 
competition in a good way as a kid. And I feel like maybe that's where part of it comes from is, you know, just being an artist who is creating your life and your, you know, around your art and your ability to move your own art forward. Um, and so I feel like perhaps that's part of where it comes from and just sort of being around that as a kid. Um, hmm. and feeling, you know, even just like, even when it was hard and when like, you know, cause being a, we, I grew up in Maine and being a professional photographer, you know, in a relatively small town in Maine, it's like, there wasn't always lots of business. A lot of sure. times he was doing like, he had to do commercial photography, which was fine, but you know, loved like landscape photography and, hmm. um, and even just feeling in the times when sort of like Maine's money, ugly too. So. Maine's so ugly. Hard he to had do nothing to shoot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, it's hard to win money. What? Right. Oh, uh, just when when like <laughs> money was a little tighter, um, like there was never a question that he was gonna was gonna do something else, like switch career or anything like that, um, because it was just so ingrained in like what he did and his identity. Um, hmm. So I feel like that's probably part of where that streak comes from in me. I love that. I want to bookmark something you just said, which mm -hmm. is like, even when the money was tight, like you don't, you don't necessarily have to hop off the ship, mm -hmm. you yeah, know? Yeah. So I just want to bookmark that and we'll come back to that. And mm -hmm. then speaking of coming back to things, I just want to set the context for any listeners out there who may not know you as well as we do here mm -hmm. at Rock Rising. But what, like, what do you do now? Mm -hmm. And we'll unpack it later, but just simply, if you had to state, I'm Gina, this is what I do, what would that be? Yeah. Um, I'm mostly a playwright. Um, I also am a dramaturg, which we can talk about too, because I feel like I didn't even really know what that meant until a few years ago. So you um, started figuring out who you were? Exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. I feel like I'm a dramaturg. I'm a dramaturg. Where is what this is word th coming from? Word? <laughs> <laughs> it's coming to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I also really love to teach, so I teach. I'm a. I teach writing to in various adult playwriting workshops. Cool. Um, sometimes an actor. I started as an actor, um, but rarely. But so predominantly, I'm a playwright. Started as an actor. Yes. But opened your eyes. Yeah, just I still love acting. Yes. Um, but I was. It was just. I the again. Maybe it's about that competitive thing or the the sort of like need to have agency way my dad had his own business out of his art like I just felt like I had very little agency as an actor mm -hmm. in creating my own opportunities and as a writer obviously that's still not you know it's not like it's easy sure but at least creating the content you know and having some agency over that um it just felt like it was more active like I could do things and have them be less ephemeral you know that could actually right. sort of lead places well, I feel like actors, like their main job is to be a vessel. Mm -hmm. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But mm -hmm. if you also are someone who likes to create something out of nothing, mm -hmm. then you can't, I don't think you can strictly be an actor because in order to be an actor, you have to be given something that right. someone else started with. Yeah. So I think it's cool when I mean people who started with acting and then found themselves in other positions because to me it just kind of signifies that they were like open to opportunities and open to other like avenues at a point in their life where you're mainly rewarded for having a very um, limited and like exclusive type of system of thinking. Hmm. Like mm -hmm. to be an actor, you kind of have to like be an actor. Yeah. So it's true. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful also to have, have that 
as an experience I had yeah. and to understand actors as a writer. And to still do it. And to still do it. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Um, and all the, and just, I felt like it just makes you, that everyone should study acting at some point for the, 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 the way that it just kind of makes you, you know, learn how to be comfortable in your body and sort learn of... Learn how to be a human. Yeah, and how to interact with other people. Like, there's just yeah. so many beautiful lessons from it. Yes, there are, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to unpack all of the things that you just said that you are, but mm -hmm. but now that we have that context, let's hop back in the time machine <laughs> and go back to Maine. Maine, Okay, yeah. so in Maine, mm -hmm. when you were discovering these this competitive aspect of yourself, where was that? Where, like, what were you actually doing mm -hmm. with most of your time? Yeah. Um, were you on sports teams? Were you right. chilling in the library? Yeah. I, um, Eating carrots? <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom was like a crazy, uh, she was like macrobiotic for, there were a lot of like vegetables in our life as kids. So yeah, like saying you were carrots, snacking you on yeah, veggies on carrots. recess. Yeah. You see like the time, right, yeah. <laughs> the veggie kid. Uh, damn it. <laughs> I'm the veggie kid always. <laughs> I was the kid too poor for the fruit gushers, but I always oh, was scoping them gushers, out. Yeah. yeah. We were not allowed to have, you know, we always had like an apple instead of gushers. And I always wanted the gushers too. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, so I was always like, I was a very quiet, shy kid, um, which honestly continued all the way through college. Mm. Um, I'll get to that later. Anyways, but, uh, I was, I was in theater forever, like on, in all the school theater oh, really? programs and stuff. Yeah. Um, from, I think in middle school, or no, I was like in the elementary school plays or whatever, and then continued being in the clubs and stuff throughout <coughs> middle and high school. And, um, yeah. And I wanted to, I, in retrospect, I like wished that I played, I had played sports, but I think at one point I think I was put in soccer. And then I told my parents after the first day, like, I don't really like it, you know? Uh, and then they like let me quit, you know? And I, now, like, am far more physically active for a lot of my life. It just wasn't part of my, like, hmm. regiment or routine. And I sort of wish that, like, from a young age that had been instilled in me more. Yes, but there are also the kids where that's true. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, no, it's okay. I'm choking on liquid. <laughs> <clears throat> where that's true, but there's, like, also a disconnect where mm. they're not in their body. They're right. not living in their body. Mm -hmm. You don't seem like a person who's not, like in touch with how to use your body. I yep. see so many adults in a city like New York where you have to like kind of walk everywhere, commute mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people that are not in their body. Like, oh, yeah. What were you doing? Yeah. No, I know. Your whole Same. life. Right. It's really interesting. You don't have to be like ripped out. Like, but what right. are you doing? Right. Yeah. Or even just on the subway or spatial awareness yes, or all yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. You look, peop you look at certain people and you're like, the way that you're like walking around it, you must be walking on balloons. Mm. Like you must have balloons like where your feet should be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah. so yeah. So I was, I was, yeah, reading a lot of like fantasy books. I was a big reader. I was like, mm. I was spending a lot of time in the library. Yes. Eating carrots. You nailed me. Yep. Um, I wasn't saying it in a bad way. No, no, you just knew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I was also very like, especially in high school, I really, I, I, took pride in or like felt the need to express some difference through like clothes. So I like wore crazy, like I would wear a, 
like a prom dress from Goodwill and like fairy wings and really stuff like that. Yeah. And like I'm day to day, like often. Yeah. Yeah. Like hmm. three days out of the week, probably like a crazy outfit <laughs> like that. Um, now that's interesting. Yeah. I'm also like, I'm very embarrassed to say, but I'll say it, um, that in, I think I was a junior in high school. I went and I, I like, I really wanted to get dreadlocks. And so I like got like white girl dreadlocks, uh, when I was like a junior and then they were horrible. They just like never stayed together and they like looked terrible and they were all like so waxy because they wouldn't yep. just stay. Yep. <laughs> Kept them for like a year and then was like, what am I doing? Cut them off. I feel like you're like even the people that say, oh, my dreads are clean and healthy. Mm. It's like, no, that's really filthy. Actually, mm-hmm. it's really dirty. Well, cause that's like how it also stays together. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you can't actually by definition of having dreads, you can't then have clean dreads. Yeah. Because yeah. you have dreads, and it's a knot. Yeah. <laughs> fueled by oil and skin. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Gross, like, man. Yeah. I considered them. So I would say that's more surprising mm-hmm. that you went for it than it is embarrassing. Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I wouldn't be embarrassed by that. I think it's cool. Thanks. Yeah, it was definitely, I feel like all of it was, I feel like there's a part of it of this need to sort of like externally do these things of like a fear that people wouldn't right or I don't know a fear almost like I was trying to be as sort of like out there looking as possible so that nobody could say like oh Gina's weird you know because sure. I'd be like, I already know that look at my outfit right you know? which is um, like I think it's part of that but also like you know you are an artist mm-hmm. constantly looking for ways to express yourself yeah I remember in it, I was a junior when I started wearing things from the costume closet as well. Mm, nice, yes. Like, you know, just actually stealing from my school's co- yeah. costume closet and then going to Goodwill and getting the weird pieces. And mm-hmm. part of it was to, as that, like, security thing mm-hmm. of, like, well, if I'm super weird, then there's no excuse, which also kind of freed me up yeah. to express myself in other ways. But I think it was also because of my confidence in expressing myself. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. yeah, I right. think there, I think things. we have more like looking back it's easy to like kind of like think you were a weird theater kid but I think there's there is a lot of strength in our history and mm-hmm. our stories just as there is in like like it's hard to be on a high school football team like yeah. it's hard to do that training it's it's hard for us as well. Yeah. Yeah, or was. Mm-hmm. Hopefully still is. Right. Yeah, it should be. But you're not wearing like super weird shit anymore. I'm not. No, yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, I finally allowed it to be like, just didn't have to be the way to the only way to express those things, you know. And then it kind of fell away. But you were competitive with the weird dresses. Yeah, totally. That's very with true. with yourself. <clears throat> like I got a yeah, like I had to one up myself <laughs> yeah. from yesterday. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I received. I did get the superlative. Um, born in the wrong decade. That's not a superlative, but that's what how it was phrased because I also wore a lot of my mom's old like hippie clothes. Um, which are probably in now. Yeah, exactly. They probably are. It yeah. It comes around. So, yeah. Um, well, speaking yeah. of coming around, you, mm-hmm. you ended up kind of like staying on this trajectory then of mm-hmm. theater. I did. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So where did you go? Like yeah. from high school? Where did um, you go? I went, so I went to NYU for acting, um, for cool. college and it's funny because yeah, it is the same trajectory and the whole, that whole time. And like, since I was little, you know, my parents still have all these like old things I wrote and stuff. Um, I had also been writing that whole time. Um, but just sort of never just, I knew I wanted to be an actor and like the writing was just for me or for fun. Um, Mm -hmm. and not anything to pursue, I thought. 
Um, so yeah, so I moved to New York uh, when I was 17. I've been in New York for 12 years, which is as of like a month ago. Um, Congrats. Thank you. It's a crazy, it doesn't feel like that. It's really Every year strange. creeps up on you. It really does. Yeah. It really does in New York especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I moved to the city, studied acting. I was so, it was so, I had a great time. Some of my friends from my first like freshman year group are still my very close friends. Um, it was a great way to like be introduced to the city and to sort of start the whirlwind of like, now you're on your own and who are you as a person and what do you want to do with your life and all these things. Um, and only in my last year of undergrad, I was in, I was in um, Playwrights Horizons Theater School and Experimental Theater Wing, which are two of the studios at NYU. And at ETW, in your last semester, you would like have a theater for a weekend and you can do whatever you want in the space. So cool. that was the first time I wrote a play because I like had this weekend. Um, and it was this crazy time travel play about like nerds in the post-apocalyptic future like one was like a historian one was a quantum physicist one was like a mathematician um and there was like a talking cat and they all like discovered time travel you know and they were like it was just a crazy zany play Hmm. um and then and it was so fun to, to create and then to perform and I also performed in it and directed it and that was crazy uh, and then graduated and was sort of like, oh, that was actually the best experience I've had in these four years. And now school's over, you know, and sort of like didn't realize that earlier. Um, yeah. And then I had four years between after that where I was just sort of like trying to be an actor, also starting like teaching artist work, um, enjoying it and then like not enjoying it because it often felt like glorified babysitting. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I ran this circus camp for a while in Brooklyn, um, in the summer for kids. It's like summer camp, um, which was the same thing where it was like really fun. And like, I'm doing, I'm like, I was making shows every two weeks with the kids and stuff, but also, you know, wiping their noses and calling their parents and, you know, those things. Um, and then as I was doing that, yeah, just sort of like not like going to auditions, not really getting, sometimes getting things, but you know nothing exciting um and feeling like people even in the room sometimes like weren't passionate about the the thing that they were all working on and so then I was just sort of like what is this and started writing my own monologues and you know like wrote another play and did you ever use your own monologues in auditions I did yeah it was fun and awesome yeah even today I I write monologues for my husband who's an actor that's a great idea yeah it's fun and you can and it's Great for like, you know, if you need a particular type of monologue yeah. that you don't have yet. Yes. Um, you How do you, okay, so can can we kind of like follow this trail yeah. for a little bit? Yeah. So like, okay, let's say I needed like a one minute comedi- comedic monologue set in the like, I don't know, now. Mm-hmm. It's current, mm-hmm. you know? But like, where do you start? Do you start with, ooh, it. I could end like this, mm-hmm. or do you come up with a whole play for it? Right. Because I there's so much, like if even if you take the famous monologues, like mm-hmm. when I was auditioning for schools, funny, I auditioned for NYU mm-hmm. and the school that I ended up going to. Mm-hmm. And um, even on those like basic like top monologues for male actors. <laughs> right, <laughs> those like, websites. There, yeah. there is anywhere from like six to... 12 solid hours of work that you could do to like mm-hmm. get to that monologue. 
with like backstory and character work. Right. And no, it's true. So where do you start as a writer to yeah. create a monologue, which is a snippet of like bukus of context? Right. Um, I think typically I just start with like with a crisis sort of. So like imagining hmm. a situation a that need. is crisis. Yeah. Um, and then building out from there just enough to understand that the basics of sort of like where are we who basically is this person and like what is this crisis that is sort of the reason that they have to speak right now which and you know whether or not it's comedy or drama it's always I think crisis because comedy comes from the crisis and of course drama does too um and then just like deciding on those things and just kind of like free writing around it for a bit or you know and often I mean like always with any writing I feel like those details come out without thinking about them, you know, in ways that like, oh, I didn't realize that I was imagining this character being like a cruise ship employee, but it looks like he is because I just wrote that line, you know? Right. Um, so, so yeah, but I feel like starting with the, like what would be an interesting crisis and then um, just kind of seeing where it leads you. And often they're like re close to first drafts. Like often for monologue like that, it'll just be a couple changes of like some wording. Um, and I don't think I've ever actually written a play around any of those monologues. They've just sort of been little snippets of people and moments. Um, yeah. That's very, very cool. It reminds me of, uh, for some reason, it reminds me of an acting exercise. It was one of the first acting exercises I was given. Hmm. And I remember like going out to do that assignment was the first day I felt like an actor because I was like studying hmm. it in the city, yeah. you know? And... Um, so the the assignment was to go to a public space and to watch people and to make like just sketches of like little moments. Mm -hmm. So you're just practicing your observation skills. Mm -hmm. And I remember like even if it was as simple as me limiting myself to, oh, look at the way her bag is like bouncing as she walks and, and like the, the curvature of her bag and like the how it's like you know, the strings are dangling, whatever it is, mm -hmm. just l paying attention to that one small slice of the pie, you you kind of fill in the rest of the pie. Totally. You fill yeah. in the rest of the story, and mm -hmm. like I ended up like when some stranger would turn a corner, it was like a closing of a chapter, and mm. I was like, oh, we've experienced so much. <laughs> right, you don't even know it. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah. even know it. I'm an actor. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, the city is such a great place for all those kinds of you know character studies it's overwhelming too it is yeah do you see yourself staying here for good with your husband or are you guys do you do you guys have an open mind to ever living somewhere else we have an open mind to it this is yeah it's a funny moment to just be asking that just because we you know we just got married like a month and a half ago and mm -hmm. i've been here for 12 years he's been here for five or six years oh cool um and I sort of always imagined that I would leave the city. It was just kind of like the, I, I never thought I would be here this long either. It was just sort of like, well, I'll be in New York and then I'll go live somewhere quieter, you know, and somewhere where like a little greener, you know. Um, and then suddenly it's like 12 years have gone by and my whole community is here. I know how to live here. You know, I find beauty in it even on the days when it's really, you know, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um but but now, especially just thinking about what is my ideal rhythm as a writer and artist, like I'm 
almost I'm getting myself to the place where like I wouldn't have to live in the city say to like do what I do um like more and more things being possible to do remotely or you know uh and so like the idea of being I think I still have this like picturesque idea of being sort of a writer living in some like rural area at least for a while you know and like being sequestered there and being creative and then also like spending some time in the city but I don't actually know I don't know anymore like what I would if I would like living somewhere else I just don't know because I've only lived here and in Maine as a kid um so it's tough to say it's tough to say especially he's an actor and you know so it's also a question of like would I live here forever if we had like lots of money? Then maybe because then we could live in sort of whatever neighborhood we wanted. Mm -hmm. We could have like a backyard, you know, like we could have sort of the things that you could have here with a lot of money. Um, but that's just like not going to happen. And also like, I don't, I don't know. I just like wouldn't also wouldn't want to like be living on you know, like the Upper East Side or something where you're just like surrounded by Mo money, mo problems. Yeah, it's I like don't know. you could, you, you'll have a, maybe a better apartment. You'll have better, nicer things, but right. it's all the same. Yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, like you're just stressing over bigger numbers, mm -hmm. like bigger problems. Mm -hmm. It's all the same. I don't know. At a certain yeah. point, you yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like yeah. there no, are certain people that can't afford bread, and right. that's different yeah. than worrying about what, like your car payments. Yes, that's different. It is, but. You know, if you're living in New York, you, you're paying rent and you can buy groceries. Mm -hmm. Like, you're kind of like, in a sense, you're kind of making it because mm -hmm. it's like this is a very hard city to even stay afloat in. Yeah. So, like, I guess what I want to ask you is when you were competing with yourself over the weirdest dresses to mm -hmm. wear <laughs> to school and you were, like, gung-ho about acting and theater... Are there any images that you kept in your mind as motivation of like dreams or goals that you that you that you thought were tangible and you actually wanted to crush? And if so, you know, have you met any of them or have you been surprised by the weird turns that you've taken? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like um I mean for so long my those visions were acting specific visions, you know, like yeah. acting on That's Broadway or whatever asked. it is. Yeah. yeah. But, um, and so those, I think I've just sort of can see, can remember and sort of say, well, actually that's not anymore sort yes. of the goal. Um, yes. I mean, honestly, like the, it's just the desire to make money off of my art. And then the fact that so recently, really only in the last year, um, I've been lucky enough slash, you know, dogged enough to, um, make some money off of my writing, which has been really uh, amazing. Not enough to, you know, only do that yet, hopefully, who knows, someday. Yet. Um, although I do not want to give up teaching. Like, I do love writing and teaching and how they feed each other. So It'd be cool to get to the place where you can choose to continue doing those yeah, things. Yeah, it's true. Um, I want to get to the point in my life where I'm choosing to do the things that I already am doing. Yes, As opposed yes. to having to do them. Agreed. Yeah, that's a beautiful philosophy. Um yeah, uh, so that certainly feeling like a, a sort of goal that I didn't know realistic, like I never really knew I was going to hit. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I, I was always sort of like, oh, that would be amazing. But also like part of me, I think, didn't maybe trust that I would commit enough to, like future me wouldn't commit enough to that 
passion to like actually make it happen. Um, so that's, yeah, that's been a very exciting thing. Um, and then it's, and then it's like the question of like, okay, then you get paid a couple times and then you don't for a while. And so then how do you like yeah. s- swallowing the pride of like, but I was paid to write this thing right. and to be like, nope, that's okay. I'm going to, you know, continue doing this other thing for a while until another thing comes up. Yep. For me, it was hard, like as an actor, because you're that you're also going gig to gig mm-hmm. as an actor. It's like it, it was hard not only for the financial thing of like, oh, if I'm not in a play, I'm not making money or whatever. But you're also you can fall into this trap of like tying your identity or your idea sense of self worth with mm-hmm. uh, the production that you're in, or or whether or not you're in a production at the at any mm-hmm. given time. Yeah. I remember feeling empty whenever I wasn't in a show or like the day after a show closed and like there's a there's a level an amount of that that's healthy mm-hmm. but then there's also an amount of it that you can just kind of get stuck in and it's like a negative loop cycle of well if I'm not booking work it it's because I'm not worthy of it or I'm not good enough or right. I'm not right. doing the right things and mm-hmm. it's like no you could be doing all of the right things but you just it's not for you. And so I love that you said that about a lot of your your dreams or your visions of yourself in the city were mm-hmm. different because of where you were in your life, but mm-hmm. like staying open to where you are. Yeah. Can like show you that there are so many different doors than the one that you imagined yourself knocking on. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know, I'm always kind of taken aback when I think back to the time that I wanted to move to the city Mm -hmm. and then I look at where I am now and Mm -hmm. the things that I'm doing and it's totally, totally different. Right. Yeah. It's completely, I I never would have even thought to imagine the things that now make me so happy. No, yeah, not like literally I wouldn't even think to imagine them. Mm -hmm. Right. This reminds me of, um, excuse me. Um, one of my favorite quotes about writing, which also is like so, applicable to this um which is just like i just love this quote so it's by a quote by el doctorow the writer and what he said like slightly paraphrased but he said um writing is kind of like driving at night you can only see as far as your own headlights but you can make the whole trip that way um Hmm. and so like i love it as far as thinking about writing because it's sort of like you know you can know the idea of your whole piece that you're trying to make but if you try to plan it all out, you know, it's just going to fall apart or you're going to doubt yourself. But if you hmm. just sort of say, this is what I can see right now, right. I will get to that moment. Oh, right. and now I will trust that you will then see something else that leads you in the right direction. Um, and I feel like it's so related to this idea of like, who did you think, what did you think you wanted at a certain point? And like, do you force yourself to like stick with that right. goal? Or can you just sort of like see, well, my headlights right now are showing me like, this is the next step. Yes. And then like, and then the next step will show itself too. I love that you said that about specifically about writing mm-hmm. because then you can take that same lesson learned and apply it to your personal life. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe you, like, okay, so we were recording a, an audio play in here like cool. maybe two nights ago. Mm. It was really intense, but right before we started, our director said something that we all were like, whoa, <laughs> I'm going to put that on the whiteboard. <laughs> oh, and what I've is been it? kind of looking over there for it. I kind of remember it, but I want to see if it's still up there. Yeah, holding um, a lantern um, over carrying a flashlight. So holding mm-hmm. a lantern as opposed to carrying a flashlight, huh. that was his sentiment going into 
you know, oh. crafting this audio play. Mm. And I love the imagery because a lantern is that kind of that five foot radius or mm -hmm. three foot radius, but it's also like less sure. Yeah. Not in a, in a wavering sort of way, but in like a open sort of way. Like I'm yeah. down to explore the woods as opposed to point my flashlight in a spot that I'm going to now head. Right. It's so much more present too, because mm -hmm. it's sort of like this place I'm already in is worth noticing versus yeah. saying like, I have to be there. And like, that's where the flashlight's pointing. And it's also more work. It's a little mm -hmm. more visceral to yeah. light a lantern, to have the lamps lit as opposed yeah. to just Click clicking on, on it. Flashlight. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Or, or like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, dude, I made a joke in, Chipotle, <laughs> that the more we try to make life convenient for us as humans, the harder it becomes because, like, mm. this dude filled up his Coke from, <laughs> like, you know, the carbonated dis dis dispenser or whatever, which mm. is kind of just a funny thought in and of itself. Like, True. why are we drinking that? And also, why are we making it so easy to get like that? But yeah. it was just, it was all kind of funny. And he was just, like, panicked, like, right left like <laughs> you know like panicked looking around and all the employees were like it's right there sir it's the oh lids God. are right there they're the, the lids are in the wall sir and they were like to be fair hard to see but also they weren't because right. if, if you've you ever looked, been in a restaurant right, you know where you know look. what it looks like when a bunch <laughs> yeah. of plastic is there for your disposal mm -hmm. you know yeah. dispensing mm -hmm. and um but it was also like tucked away in the wall in such a discreet way and i was like damn it like the more we try to like make things easier for ourselves, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. It's true. It's true. It's true. It is true. So with the writing thing though, mm -hmm. I kind of want to get back to that. Like what was your first, like what was the first, where were you in your life where you kind of looked around and you're like, Oh, I'm a, like I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, I mean, it was funny. It was kind of the thing where like you have a present day moment and then that like suddenly illuminates all these like, things that have happened earlier that I was like, oh, now they all make sense. Um, but I remember, yeah, it was probably, I guess it was just like two and a half, or no, yeah, it was like three years after undergrad um, when I had written like, I guess it was just, yeah, my second one act play uh, or like my second play. Uh, and it was also like a sort of mess and like a fantastical thing about like outer space kind of. Um, um, which I also have thoughts on like magical realism. Expand a little and stuff. more. Well, on it was that. it was basically like yeah, that's all you need to know. Outer space. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Cool. Oh. Yeah, I'm um, content with that. It was the idea of like these two people. Gosh, it's been a while since I thought about this play. It's called Countdown. I Did think. you even write it? I yeah no. Um, it's a sham. I don't write anything. Um, it was like this the, this these two people who are both separately kind of going through these sort of like life crises of very different types, um, both happen to find out about this like call for amateur people to be like part of a new, God, like part of a um, experimental like civilians in space thing mm -hmm. sort of or something. And they like arrive and they're like the only two people and it's very strange and there's this like he was called the faceless commander guy who like sort of like semi narrates the play to the audience. And it's sort of like, I don't actually, I think the point of it kind of is like, maybe it's real. Maybe it's just a metaphor sort of, of the idea of like floating sort of aimlessly and needing direction, you know? And so like they were both kind of trying to escape their problems by going into space and like, do you still have this? I probably do somewhere. Um, this was, yeah, this was probably like, I guess this would have been twenty. 
2012 or 2013 that I wrote this Sounds kind of cool. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It seems, it does sound kind of cool. I have no idea if I, how I executed it, if it was fun. But like, I, you know, I enjoyed writing it and it was at this little festival of one act plays. And I remember sitting in the audience at the first show and just like sitting in the back and there were a lot of people there and just the feeling of people watching people watch the work um, and just feeling the moments mm. when people responded and laughed or leaned in or, yeah. you know, where it was that sort of type of silence where, you know, everyone is sort of hanging on to what's going to happen. Um, and that mm. just felt like such a magical thing um, that I was really just knew I wanted to keep exploring. Um, and then it was kind of the thing of like, oh, I really love that again, but I don't really know what I'm doing, you know, and I, not that you need instruction. I don't think, you know, I, but I was a kind of, a per, I, I was at a place where I was like, I would love to sort of actually learn some of the techniques of what I'm doing and like the history and, and also honestly to like go back, I really wanted to go to grad school for those lessons and for that like chance to really focus, have focused time to figure out who I am as a person and an artist but also because I like had all this um, regret, like this goes back to like the being a shy, quiet kid, um, where I felt like even in college and in a lot of my life, I at the time I just was like silent. You know, I just never shared my opinions, and I and and I don't know that I always like created opinions because I didn't feel like I had something to say, sort of. And it was all you know, on all of my even college like grading and stuff where they give you a couple sentences about why you got the grade it was always like you know you do good work but like you need to speak more um and so I went into grad school being like I want to learn how to do that you know I want to like make my presence known more and how to form opinions and you know push back and share them and is that why you started a podcast with steven (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) um right that's definitely like the product of i think like those three years in grad school like actually really purposefully having that mindset and then like becoming that person like i now feel fairly confident like sharing my opinions and i think of you as one who is like that yeah yeah um but it was very much like an active Thing. And a fear, a fear so often, especially early on, of just like everyone here is smarter than me, you know, sort yeah. of imposter syndrome stuff, of course, um, the fear of like being called on and sounding stupid, like all of those things um, were just huge things that I like wanted to get rid of, you know, and wanted to face. Yeah, this may be a stretch, but I like making connections, like mm-hmm. going back to that, looking for the plastic lids that are mm-hmm. right in front of you in the yeah. wall, but made, you know, they're trying to be, it's trying to, the experience is like made easier, but in the making of it, it like trying to be easier, it's harder yeah. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like as a writer, someone would jump to like, oh, well, I can just write everything I want to say mm-hmm. and I don't actually have to put it in action. So I think it's cool that you cho- like actively, you, you chose the struggle, mm-hmm. like you chose to go through it and to actually learn something. And, um, a lot of things in my life right now, I am like I'm I'm looking for activities that confront me with real struggle each time I do them because you can think about things all day long, mm-hmm. but until you do them, you're not going to really learn anything. You you can gain a good idea for for what it is. So yeah, and it, I think it's cool too because now you are that person, and it shows that like you can change things. Mm-hmm. I was under the impression for a lot of my upbringing, 
probably because of these games like Don't Wake Daddy, <laughs> but also because of my heavy religious upbringing mm. of like, well, just give it to God. Mm. You know, don't worry about it. It'll it'll all work out. Yeah. It's like, well, sh- no, because <laughs> you got to make choices to like get up out of bed and go chase the things you want, you know, because mm. like, let's say I could be like hoping that hoping that I make the basketball team, but I never get out of bed it's like right. well then you're never gonna get make the basketball team right right get out of bed yes like with you it's like you don't i was talking to um a friend of mine about doing psychedelics mm-hmm. and they were hesitant because of their past relationship with substances mm-hmm. and i was like well that's part of the reason why some people do these psychedelics is mm-hmm. to like confront yourself with that with those things and yeah it's like a person who's uh, you know got physically assaulted and the and then they ask for help and it's like well you should probably train in self-defense and they're like well i'm afraid of fighting mm-hmm. or it's like okay well if you don't do it if you don't do right. the training you It'll need always be a fear and yeah. as actors as writers i feel like we get really comfortable in our little echo chambers yeah and like we act like we're entering dangerous spaces mm-hmm but it's safe because we're with people that think the same stuff as us and it's all rehearsed and we're saying the same things over and over again. So we feel like we're making real changes in our lives when we're actually just doing our job really well. Mm. And we often like, we're not listening to the <laughs> things that we're saying. Yeah. And if we were, we, uh, you know, I've learned some of the best lessons in my life from the characters that I've played. Mm. Yeah. You know, where I'm like, Ooh, this doesn't, why does this feel weird? Why is this not sitting well? Hmm. Maybe I need to learn something from this. Totally. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know, there's just like this image of, I make a joke because every time I engage in the theater mm-hmm. and commit my time to a, a project and then I'm in the theater, it's like a beautiful fucking day outside. Like mm. perfect <laughs> weather, you know? Right, you just wish it, you were out there. <laughs> and it's yeah. like tech week. Yeah. It's uh, like in the middle of fall, there's like a pocket of spring. Right. And you're just in the theater. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. classic. This is a perfect story. This is a perfect metaphor for what we do here, Mm -hmm. trying to bring life to people. And we spend all of our time in a dark room saying the same things that we said seven nights before this. Totally. So anyway, all that to say, I commend you for like challenging yourself to become what you want to be. Thank you. And I feel like... Artists are so focused on their crafts or can be that we often forget about taking care of ourselves and mm-hmm. what we need to do, which in turn will like may help you with your work, oh, you yeah. know, and yeah. like maybe you'll end up in places that you weren't expecting, mm-hmm. but maybe they're the places you need to be. Yeah. Like I say this pretty much every Sunday, but I find myself every Sunday sitting across the table from people like you mm-hmm. getting sparked by conversations that I didn't even know I'd be having Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know I'd be doing a podcast like I I made an intentional choice to listen to podcasts to get better at listening to people Mm. many years ago in my life like I didn't even get why people listen to podcasts (laughs) then I started liking podcasts that's fine had no interest to do them and then I you know after many many different things and stories and chapters in my life like I'm, you know, let's fast forward. Is this, this is not about me, it's about you, but I'm I sitting know. at a table with a team of people trying to start a media production company called Rock Rising. And they're like, hey, all, literally all four of the, of the other team members are like, yeah, you should host a podcast. Hmm. Um, and I was like, all right. 
you know, whatever. Right. Here we are. And now here we are. And it's like, but I'm so thankful for this. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't ask for it and I never would have. Right. And I feel like that's part of the, I mean, it's just like inherent in the energy and the spirit of people who like are so who p- creative people. I don't want to say, I don't know. Cause like everyone is creative. It's just different ways, but like people who, right. you know, are in some way are artists. I feel like is that's the need to be flexible and to, you know, just sort of follow what follow the, follow your impulses, you know? And that's such a, an actor thing. Um, and then like it can happen in life in such beautiful ways like that. And now you, yeah, now you're making a podcast, which is such a beautiful thing to do for yourself and your listeners. Like it's, yeah. And you just I never mean, you're making, known. you're a writer and you're writing monologues right. for yourself and <laughs> yeah. your husband for right. auditions. Okay. Yeah. G- getting back to the writing though. Yeah, like yeah. what? Okay. So the astronaut thing mm-hmm. seemed really cool with the faceless Cosmo right. guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I'm calling him. Great. And, um, but I also want to know. Like, so that was the first time maybe that you felt like you were stepping into riding shoes. Mm-hmm. What's the most recent thing that you've done? Yeah. Maybe um, not in terms of date, like not even dates, sure, sure, just sure. projects. Just like projects. What, what, what is it? Yeah. Well, I think like, so one thing that I, especially just saying that like, you know, my first two plays were these like wacky, you know, no judgment. I loved them and they were really fun. Um, or just even like science fiction, magical realism type of things. And I, I used to think that I was like, I am a magical realism like playwright or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, through grad school, honestly, just like through the self-discovery that that was, I realized that, like that was all, I think, a lot of it. Well, I do still love that and the right moments. Um, a lot of it was about like not trusting the fact that just sort of pe- realism can be interesting and important. Um, and that like I had to make things that were crazy, sort of fantastical for it to catch people's interest. So I've like very much moved away from those kinds of zany sort of like, you know, sci-fi sort of setups. Yeah. Although I do still love the idea and when it's right, it's right. And like would love to write like a sci-fi movie that's like all takes place in a sci-fi world at some point probably, but just as far as plays. Making a mental note. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, As far as plays, I've sort of shifted gears. So a lot of my, yeah, it's, you know, I've been like rewriting my like artist statement as well. And so like that's in my head too. But I think like the most... Partly, partially because I think because theater is so collaborative, not only with the people involved, but with the audience being physically there in a room watching a play, unlike with a movie or a TV show, um, mm-hmm. that like the possibility of creating empathy and like some kind of change in a person is like actually possible in a play. Uh, and so my like most recent projects have all sort of have been sort of about something that I feel like is a deeply important subject um, that requires sort of like potentially an empathetic shift in an, in an audience member uh, or like something it is about something that we just sort of like don't talk about typically or, um, you know, but just kind of like that the idea of like this sort of alchemy of like people in space and a story can actually uh, do something really important. And so like, to give you examples, um, my so two projects I'm working on right now. One is very much at the very beginning. The other one is like mostly, you know, has been written many times and is now kind of like doing things that I get to experience. Um, the one that is finished, it's called The Colony, and it's about the eugenics movement in the U.S. Um, and so it takes place in the 20s, and it's sort of about the origins of this Supreme Court case that basically said it was eugenics was legal. 
um, and that it's okay to sterilize people who are seen as quote unquote unfit, whatever that means. Um, and then it moves to the present day where actually like all of these sort of eugenic practices are very much still taking place. So the last scene takes place in a correctional facility in the present day um, where we sort of meet a woman who is offered the choice of like reducing her sentence for being sterilized. Spoiler, that's the end of the play. <laughs> I've spoiled it. Um, but so like, you know, and that is very much, of course, like a huge just sort of like social justice issue that I think is important, but is also very much tied to like women's bodies because mm -hmm. a lot of it was about women. And that's another thing a lot of my plays, especially now, are very much about not only just sort of women, but like women's bodies um, and how they're viewed and regulated and celebrated or not. Um, so that's one play. And then this other one after, so I was writing that one for a couple of years and it was like really intense, um, obviously. You can tell from the subject matter. Um, and I loved it and like felt important, but it was also very intense. So my newest project is like very much a comedy, which is really exciting to like actually laugh a little bit mm -hmm. uh, while I'm writing. Um, and this one is about sex ed for adults and the idea that sort of like the premise is that uh, there's a woman who's a middle school health teacher and she gets fired after she's talking about her student, talking about masturbation with her students. And then she realizes through all these various encounters that like all the adults in her town are basically like sort of clueless as well or have various like sexual questions that are like they're grappling with or don't know their bodies, like don't know like basic anatomy, like all these things. And so she organizes like a sex ed class for the adults. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, That's and it's very really fun. Funny. Yeah, it's funny, I think. And it's also like, and for that one, a thing that I like am really excited to figure out is this, I really feel like that one wants some kind of interactive thing towards the end to allow the audience, again, yeah. like to actually sort of engage with this because the whole point of it was that like, we just don't talk about sex or pleasure outside of the world of like, you know, Hollywood, which is a very sort of one type of like sex and pleasure and mm -hmm. like a way of viewing it. So the really the the desire or like, to or religion, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, Hollywood yeah. or religion, yeah, right, which are two very opposite. It's never <laughs> like, from like a human's perspective, yeah, yeah, and so like getting the audience to actually engage in a way that is like feels safe and fun because mm -hmm. I'm not an audience member who likes interaction usually. Me either. Um, so figuring out like what that might be. I don't like being an audience member. Mm, no, I, I'm like I would rather be on stage. Mm, nice, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Sorry, keep going. No, no, please. Um, what you were saying was more interesting, so... No. No, no, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is, like, a really... So that's the kind of, like, the... Those are the two, like, projects that I feel like I know about enough right now to talk about, and then I have various other ones that are, like, in yeah. super basic stages working with different That's people. always... That should always be the case. Yes. Like, you should always be sitting on a, a bank of content that's in flux. Yes, yes. Even the content that is release ready should be, you should be open to changing that up too. Yeah. But, but you should always, like, you should be comfortable with sitting on things that are not finished. Yeah. As an artist. I right. think as a human, that's also helpful. But as an artist, if you're not okay with that, you're going to drive yourself crazy on both ends of the spectrum. You're either going to release nothing or release everything mm -hmm. when it's not ready. Yeah. I'm trying to find that balance in my life. Yeah, it's tough. It's and, tough. And I think for like, I also just like every time I'm working on a project, I'm like, this is, this is it. This is the last idea I'll ever have. Like right. I'll never have another idea, you know? So like having, having other things that are on different like heat levels of like heat on a stove or something, like one simmering yep. and one's, you know, well, I is very helpful. I expelled that notion from my mind with the simple practice of it's like my summer, my summer tradition of 
every summer I will. It's more of a mind, a mental state, or a men, like a, a an approach to the work than it is an actual exercise that I do. But I try to. There was a long stretch of my life where pretty much every day I would sit down. Every day in the summers, I would sit down for an hour, mm -hmm. and in that hour, I would force myself to make a beat, mm. even if it was like eight bars repeated two to four times. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to make a beat. It doesn't have to be good. No judgment. Just finish a fucking beat in an hour. Yeah. And through doing that, I actually would, you know, I made a lot of trash. <laughs> I made a lot of things that I don't know what they are yet. But then I also made things that unlocked a lot of things for myself as a person, as an artist, things that are now released, things that are now made into other things that mm -hmm. are getting worked on things that I can just cool. like use when I need and when I want. It's crazy. So it's just like kind of like what you did, you know, where you're like, I want to be someone who can form opinions and have them ready and not and like be ready to yeah. present them. I think you also have to do that work as an artist where you may not be hungry, you may not be cooking a meal for anyone to eat, but mm -hmm. you have to wake up and cook those meals. Mm. It's not a waste of food, you know? Right. Put it in the fridge, <laughs> put it in the freezer. Yes, I love this metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not a waste. Right. So don't don't feel like you're never going to cook right. cinnamon rolls as good as your last batch because True. no one wants the same batch of cinnamon rolls. You right. go crazy. And you can always compost it into something new you know whoa yeah right yep like the seed of something that you're like ah that didn't work yeah or you know how they say that leftovers when they sit in the fridge for the a while and mm -hmm. all the flavors like mesh and congeal it's yeah. like better yeah right than it was the day that you first made it so don't be afraid to sit on things like maybe we all need to sit on things this. a little more yeah i think so i think it's very possible and yeah. to be okay with saying like oh it's i thought it was done but actually maybe it's not done yet. You know, or like yeah. maybe it needs to sit for a while. Maybe I need to like go back and, you know, change it, right? Which is like, it's going to lead to my segue. Mm -hmm. One of the only segues I had planned. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know when I would drop it. <laughs> Which is if you're having trouble with these very things, I know a podcast that could help you with this. Ooh. With unfinished conversations and looking back in the past to <laughs> juxtapose that with where we are today and Whoa. where we want to be in the future. What is this amazing podcast? It sounds well, great. it's kind of like you know mental. It's like mental health in action. Hmm. It's like cultural awareness hmm. in action. Wow! And it it's centered around the simple question: <laughs> Should we? Sh should we? Should we, should we keep, keep this? this? Should we keep uh, this? Hosted by <laughs> Gina Stevenson and Stephen Moskus. True. Now, I wanted to ask you, because mm -hmm. I saw that it's listed with your name first and then his. Oh, is it? Stevenson and then Stephen Moskus. It's like music. There's it's, music mm -hmm. to that. There's also music to your podcast, so I want you mm -hmm. to briefly explain like what it is that your podcast is about, yeah. how much work is put into it beforehand, you know, you may be able to use some of your skills as a writer mm. and then maybe um, briefly ex explain like just who Steven is, what your relationship is. Yeah. And then after that, like we can kind of play a game mm. and then wrap it up or BS and wrap it up or you can say whatever you want. Wrap it up. Love I'm not going to. I'm not going to push your personal Insta okay. on people like Steven does <laughs> unless you, you want to share it. But yeah. yeah so yeah. just explain. Um, 
S W K T. That's those are the initials. Crooked um, question mark. Yes, right with a question mark. Crooked. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. Um, so Good. it's basically oh, um, so it's a cultural review podcast. Um, which like what does that mean? We basically started in the year 1969, and each episode is a year, looking at a year in culture, and uh, we choose. Usually, it's the top-grossing film of the year and the Best Picture Oscar winner of the year. Um, and we watch them, usually on our own, like not together, just because we right. don't. We live in different boroughs. Sure. Um, and take lots of notes independently and make our own decisions independent of each other about whether or not each of these movies, essentially, you know, whether or not we should keep them, which <laughs> is a muddy, like, question. Uh, we try to keep personal bias as far as like is this movie quote like do we enjoy it or not like try to keep that out of it and Um, is the question literally should we keep it and or should we trash it or is it like should we be more careful when we approach engaging in these types mm -hmm. of cultural like you know i don't know what you call them centerpieces or checkpoints right they do seem more important than just like movies right right because they've a lot of them at least are like iconic things that we've yeah. held on to. Cultural icons. Right. Um, I mean, it is kind of like because the the, it, the first one is so hypothetical and impo- like, should we get rid of this? It's like, it's not gone. Like we have it. Yeah. So I feel like it is a hybrid of those two things okay. where it's sort of like, A, like, should we keep watching this? You know, and like, is it helpful? Like are the messages that it's sharing ones that we think are useful messages, ones that are damaging in some way? Um ones that are like just sort of in some way insidious and and sort of like creepy or you know patriarchal or racist or whatever it might be because there's mm-hmm. a lot even just going from like 69 right now we just finished the 80s um and in my head I'm like oh yeah like the 80s we were that was like yesterday right you know and there's just still so many things we're like how did people yesterday was pretty fucked agree? up that's true yeah <laughs> Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Yes, I see what yeah. you... I would think that more in the 90s. That seemed like yes. the message that was pushed, which mm-hmm. was probably born in the 80s, but the mm-hmm. 80s was very much not it wasn't there, there yet. yet. Yeah. And yeah. It, that's very evident when you pop in those 80s classics mm-hmm. and you're like, mm-hmm. wowza. Yes. Wow. Wowza indeed. Token black characters, yeah. you yeah. know? And I yes. say black because it's like it was white or black. Right, right. No other races yeah. existed. No other races exist. Pretty much all these Fine. movies. It's all yeah. good. Um, so I would imagine yeah. that you have to do a lot of research for these episodes. Yeah, yeah. We do, um, you know, we research just sort of like what, you know, the sort of the making of the movie and like any mm. controversy that came from it, uh, you know, who was involved in the movie, um, you know, how much it made and like the box office and things like that. Money, um, money, money. As well as a lot of things about like references, you know, mm-hmm. and how often does it get referenced. Some of these movies, you know, even the, um, and Stephen talks about this a lot and I think it's very smart of like, at a certain point, the best picture winner does become the one that we still remember now. But a lot of the movies, it's like the best picture winner. You're like, never even heard of that. But the top grossing mm. film is the one that does kind of, mm. that you, you know, a lot, at least Steven and I and like our friends have heard of. Um, which is which kind is of like makes me want to reevaluate some things as an artist. Because mm-hmm. like, I, part of me deep down wants to do the work that I do to be remembered. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, look at the history books, the things that people remember are the 
projects that make money, not necessarily the ones that win for their craftsmanship. Right, right. And it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, just even like taking this dive into like, why did this movie win this best picture when it made, it did so poorly at the box office or like, why did, why did everybody want to watch this movie this year? Like, what was it about this film that like captured so much attention? And that is super interesting just to kind of try and analyze from a distance Hmm. Um, or just to look at sort of, you know, what else was happening in the country um, around the times that the movies came out and how might that influence like why people watched them so much or why it was seen by, you know, the Academy as something that deserved praise um, if this podcast interests you, I would, I'm not talking to Gina, I'm talking to you, you. the person listening. Yes. Yeah, we're breaking that fourth well, microphone wall. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. That we're breaking that fourth sound booth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep dive theater joke for you thespians <laughs> out there. Um, but seriously, I would, I would recommend this to you if you are in the mood for a meaty podcast without the pretension. Mm. Actually, okay, no. I have I have to take that back because there is a fair amount of pretension in their show because of Steven. Right. I call it out. Though. And you call so it out worry. and you balance it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 there you, you go. You wash it away almost. <laughs> right. Um with your just your wit. Oh, thanks. Did you see what I <laughs> You yeah. Because of your IG, your handle. Oh, nice. That was wit some wit. Hack. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was wit. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm glad that you guys are doing it. Me too. And it's really fun. And I, you know, we hope it's funny as well as insightful. So it's not just like us, you know, being boring and like, it's definitely whatever. It's the funnest, Um, it's the funnest podcast that we have that I edit. Oh, nice. Although I'm, we're in transition here and Ben is taking over more of your editing, Mm. but Mm. Which makes me sad, but it's that thing about growth and being open. Yeah, true, true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. is there anything it's that fun. you want to hit or say? Um, is there any unfinished thought? Oh, um, what is a dramaturg? Yes, Very thank you. Very quickly. <laughs> yes. Just because it's such a great thing. And I feel like they're, yeah, I knew people who were already this before any, before like they called themselves, it. like it's just a, I love this term and this sort of role in a room. It's super important. It's so important. Yeah. And the way that somebody described this to me and, um, Nana Dakin is her name. If she's listening, she's a wonderful director. Um, and I'm just like going to say it the way she said it because she said it perfectly. Was that like a dramaturg is like their job is to like find, help the team, like the writer and the director, like find and articulate the spine of a piece of a play. And so like, you know, to, re- to read critically and to discuss critically, like sort of what is this piece saying? You know, what is the story that we're telling? Uh, obviously as well, like if there's time period stuff, like doing research into that and like sharing that with people on the team. Um, but really it's kind of like being that sort of outside perspective who, mm-hmm. you know, because when you write something, you can be so close, so blind to what you're actually saying because you're so close to it um, yes. in a fascinating way. And so, like, being able to sort of see and reflect back, like, oh, this play seems to be saying this, or in this moment, this character, you know, seems to be coming from this place or this point of view or whatever it is, and, like, does the story, like, what happens to the story, and, like, does it follow through, or is there anything that sort of falls off and stuff like that? So just kind of, like, doing that um, and articulating it. And I think that, like, it's such a, it's so hard to do for your own work, but the more that I at least, like, do that for other people's work, the 
better I think I like just inherently get at subconsciously doing those things for my own plays you know because it's otherwise I just sort of like it'd be very easy to just be like well I don't really know what that means but I'm just gonna write it you know right but when I think like okay somebody will ask like what does this mean and you know somebody should be asking that and so why can't I ask that as well and yeah. then, like really clarify it super important yeah. so to yeah. come full circle mm-hmm. and to also end this podcast I'm gonna do it with a challenge mm, okay Now, separate yourself from this episode that we just did, mm-hmm. and you tell me what was the spine of this episode, what mm-hmm. were we saying, and then follow that up with, should we keep this episode? Because <laughs> <laughs> we have time, now that we have a backlog, now that we're comfortable okay. sitting on content. Uh-huh, nice, nice. Right? Mm-hmm. That was we one of the can display our wit <laughs> by choosing which episodes to release and when. Mm, oh, wow. So should we release this episode? Or does this should just we like keep disappear this? Yeah, into and, nothing? And if so, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and if not, why? Wow, great. Again, hard to do for your own things, but I can Which do is this. why I'm I challenging. challenge. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like the big, the spine of this conversation, this episode, was about um, being open to changes within yourself and um having like an awareness of your goals and how those shift whether that's like as a person creatively artistically as a society perhaps that's we didn't really go into that um but should we keep this makes me think of that um Mm -hmm. yeah i guess like being being open to being yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like having, uh, checking, checking in with where you are and like where you want to be and where you used to want to be. Yes. Which I think is more important than where you used to be. Mm-hmm. Where like, you used to want to be. Where is you more used important. to want to be. Yes, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. that kind of has, you know, that's kind of like where you are, where you are, mm-hmm. why right. you are where you are now mm-hmm. is because of where you used to want to be, not necessarily mm-hmm. where you used to be. Because right. oftentimes where I want to be is not where I am now. Totally. Yeah, okay. Whoa. Yeah. yeah, whoa. <laughs> Should we end this Yikes. before we get too deep? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, um, I want you to know that LFA is more of an ongoing dialogue that than it is like, you know, a show. Mm-hmm. So you're welcome back on to continue the conversation. Oh, thanks. And if you're interested in more conversations like this, I would suggest the episode, Should We Keep This? Also a Rock Rising Productions podcast, or a Rock Rising production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Nailed> <laughs> but it. <laughs> um, it's a different vibe than this show, but Gina's on it. I am. Yeah, and if you it's don't fun. love her, then you should love her voice. Thanks. Which you can listen to. Yes, you can. I do speak on it. Do you want to um, plug anything? I just want to say I do think we should keep this episode because it was a lot of Good. fun. And um, it helped me reflect on some things. Uh, me too. And I had a great time chatting with you. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I think we should I would. I want you to come back on. I would love to. Yeah, yeah, I would love very to. Very good. Yeah. This is very easy. Yeah. It felt like, should we keep this vibes? But it mm-hmm. wasn't, should we keep this? No, it wasn't. It was a little crossover in all senses of the word. A little cross-pollination, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah. And I will too. Great. Great. Um, yeah, I have nothing to nothing to plug at the moment except to say, just to put this out there, if anyone's going to be in Reno, Nevada in August of next year, I'm going to have my very first like U.S. production of 
U.S. premiere of a play of mine. So Ayo. That, that will be The Colony, the one I spoke about, about the eugenics movement. So oh, cool. Stay as it woke. gets closer, more things will happen, I'm sure. But Yes. Um, but yeah. you can stay in touch with all the, of those things every Wednesday when we release Should We Keep That it? is true. That so is true. Listen so listen Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, do that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Fun. Done. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram, and if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.